Welcome to the Narcissist Slayers, a podcast focusing on recovery from narcissistic abuse. I'm your co-host, Hope J. And I'm your co-host, Lynn Catalano. And we are both survivors of narcissistic abuse. I am also an attorney working with survivors of narcissistic abuse and the founder and president of the Center for Hope of Western New York. I'm an attorney, a narcissistic abuse coach, and the author of Wrecking Ball Relationships, How to Identify, Live With, or Leave the Narcissist in Your Life. Learn more about me at lynncatalano.com. At the Center for Hope, we offer hope, help, and healing from narcissistic abuse. We are a nonprofit organization with a mission to provide legal advocacy, mental health support, financial advisement, and holistic healing services to help you down the path from victim to survivor. You can find out more about our services by checking out our website, centerforhopewny.org. And please follow us on all platforms of social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, at Center for Hope WNY for helpful information about recovery from narcissistic abuse. Welcome back to the Narcissist Slayers. Today we're going to be talking about an issue that is so formative for everybody who has ever been in a relationship in their adult life with a narcissistic partner. And we're gonna talk about how having a narcissistic parent impacts children, number one. So this is gonna be a two-part podcast. Lynn and I were discussing that before we started today. So we're gonna focus this half of the podcast on what it's like growing up in a household with a narcissistic parent. And then when we come back in August, we're gonna spend some time talking about how that, your, your childhood and the trauma uh, from growing up in a narcissistic household with a narcissistic parent, how it then translates to your adult life and the partners that, if you haven't healed your trauma, yeah. the partners that you choose as an adult. So, um, I think that it's important to, to frame it this way. I think sometimes, you know, you just come out of the gate and start talking about, you know, getting involved with somebody like this and people don't necessarily take the timeline to think about where, where they came from, where you came from, um, as a person who may have had, uh, some of the same kind of abuse in childhood. And a lot of times, uh, I think that's the case. I don't know that necessarily people are aware of it or that they make that connection right away. I think sometimes it's when you uh, become an adult and you find yourself in a series of bad relationships with uh, abusive partners that have a lot of the same traits. And then over time, you start to come to this realization that, you know, uh, I'm choosing these people that are just not good for me. Um, but still to make that connection back to uh, what you may have experienced in childhood, that's something I think that people, you know, that's a lifetime. It's yeah. a lifetime of, of work. It's a lifetime of self-awareness. And it's a lifetime of therapy, <laughs> which by the way, I, uh, I highly, highly recommend if you, uh, if you have found yourself in uh, relationships with narcissistic partners, that uh, therapy is a really, really first good step to start to uncover uh, some of these issues. So, um, you know, Lynn and I, we, we've said this, uh, you know, on other occasions, but we both uh, are survivors of narcissistic abuse. Uh, Lynn predominantly 
talks about her relationship with her narcissistic father. So this is something that I think, Lynn, you can shed a lot of light on. Um, I generally talk about my, uh, you know, relationship as an adult and don't spend as much time really focusing on my childhood. But this is a good opportunity, I think, for both of us to talk a little bit about our childhoods and then um, also to talk in general about uh, especially things that I've learned um, about how these kinds of, um, you know, when you grow up with a narcissistic parent, how it impacts a child's uh, psyche, a child's self-esteem, uh, you know, a child's ability to, uh, ability to cope, a child's expectations of ever getting their needs met at all, yeah. and how it, how it kind of really creates or, or sows the seeds, at least I believe, and I'm going to say, uh, you know, I'm, I want to make this exclusion right here. Lynn and I are, well, actually, I, I am a social worker, so I do have a, I do have a background in, in mental health. But, but Lynn and I are, you know, predominantly attorneys. We're practicing attorneys. We're not, we don't want this uh, to be perceived as we are giving uh, mental health advice. Um, but you know, you can take, you can take this for what it is and, and what, you know, our, our insights. So this is our humble opinion. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Yes. You know, um, I, I know you've called me a, a unicorn in my story. So my story is a little different, but the fact is we didn't know we were in a home with a narcissistic parent growing up. We didn't know the terminology. I didn't realize it until after my mother died. Right. So, I mean, for me, I was an adult, I was married, I had children. This was eye-opening, shocking, absolutely devastating to me to discover who he really was. But when you look back, I think you look back then with a different filter, with an educated filter, and you see all the breadcrumbs, you see all the signs, all the clues, of who they really were, all their behaviors that were normalized. Right. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's really it, right? Because when you're a child, you, you know, just, it just like anything else, if you grow up in an alcoholic family yeah. or you grow up in a family where there's physical domestic violence, yes. you grow up in a family yes. where there's sexual abuse going yes. on, uh, you know, you're a child. You have no, like you said, you have yeah. no context, you have no frame of reference, no. particularly, you know, when you're a, a, a much a young child, like, you know, uh, two, three, four, five, six, seven years old, um, right as your personality is being formed yeah. and you're kind of learning yeah. uh, where you fit in your nuclear family, um, you know, you are 100% dependent on these adults in your yeah. house. And if you're, the adults in your house are disordered, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. In any way, if they have personality disorder, if they have addiction, if they're, you know, just cruel people yeah. or abusive people, you know, you're you're absorbing all of these things as a child and learning about about life um, and how to cope with life. Yeah. Uh, if you're not getting the kind of nurturing. Um, you're not getting your needs met, your emotional needs met, and all these things. You're not seven years old questioning why I'm not getting my emotional needs met, <laughs> right? No, no. right? But, but you see that perhaps you start going to friends' homes, and or you talk to friends, and and that opens up more and more as you as you get older, and you realize, oh, your parent doesn't yell at you when you get less than mm -hmm. an A on mm -hmm. your report card, right? Your parent, he, my father held me to this, this level. Um, I have found journals from when I was in fifth grade, mm -hmm. fifth grade. 
and I was ready to kill myself if I didn't get straight A's. Oh, geez. That was the level yeah. of pressure that he put on me. And then, as a teenager, I discovered he had been bragging about his master's degree my whole life. And my mother applied for a job for him that she thought he would be great for, and she went to get his transcript, and he had not completed his master's degree. Yeah. And I said, are you bleeping kidding me right now? This is the person right. that wanted me to be perfect, but I, he saw me as an extension of himself. Right. I was only good enough to make him look better. So let, I think we should just start right there because, because that is uh, such an important uh, awareness, such an important insight. Uh, obviously, uh, still, as a, as a young child, you're, 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 you don't have that kind of awareness. But one of the things that is so common in these narcissistic families is the you know the narcissist is the son right and everyone else in the family it just kind of orbits yes. the son yeah. right so uh that's sort of the the whole family yeah. dynamic yeah and it's it's common you gave a beautiful example of it but it's common across the board and nobody questions it right mm -hmm. because that's just how it is and yeah. generally speaking if you have a narcissistic parent the other parent very, very rarely you're going to have two narcissistic parents because they they would have clashed and imploded. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, yeah, but you usually have the the narcissist, right. and then you have the codependent. You yes. have so you have you're yeah. watching those dynamics unfold right before your yeah. eyes, and that's how you're learning about relationships as a young child. You have the demanding, inflexible, emotionally immature uh, tyrant. Who is constantly having tantrums and and you know everyone in the house is walking on eggshells yes. all the time and just learn to sort of uh, change themselves and adapt and adjust to the narcissist. Yep. But you know where we're learning those behaviors from as children, we're learning them. And again, I'm going to put pronouns in here. Please forgive me, anybody who's listening. It's just very difficult for me to conceptualize this without doing that. But generally speaking. We're going to see a narcissistic father and a codependent mother who is, um, you know, kind of tiptoeing around the narcissistic father, attempting to oftentimes um, tame him, right? Or, or sort of anticipate his needs to protect yes. the children. Yeah, definitely. And I see this all the time with uh, people who come and see me who are going through a divorce. It's, it's, yeah. you know, again, I'm just using pronouns like. Not saying it can't go the other way. It does go the other way sometimes, but usually it's the mother who's coming in who's saying, you know, I've been, I've, I've stayed for my children. Yeah. I, I'm trying to protect my children. I, I want to be the buffer between my child and this person who is uh, emotionally volatile, who flies into rages, yeah. who will do the things like you said earlier, withdraw their love and affection yeah. um, if they do not meet the standards of what the narcissist sets. And so we are all appendages. Yeah. Anyone in a household with a true NPD, um, you, you learn from a very, very young age that your only worth is relative to that person yeah. and the standards that that person sets. So your whole life long then, you don't know this when you're little, but you are, you're wired to chase that love, yeah. to chase yeah. that validation. Because that's what we, we don't just learn that from the interactions that we have with the narcissist. 
but we learn it secondarily from watching the other parent, yeah. the codependent parent. And in no way am I trying to blame, uh, you know, this is not about victim blaming or shaming or anything like that. But, you know, I don't know how many of you have ever heard that poem, We Learn What We Live. Do you remember that poem, no. Lynn? It's such a beautiful poem because it talks about um, like all the things that children are exposed to um, growing up and how then we sort of unconsciously repeat those things in adulthood. Wow. So for example, if you, um, if you live with contempt, then you learn to criticize, right? Wow. Um, there's, there's, I, I, I don't know the whole thing off, off the top of my head, but look it up. It's a beautiful poem. It's called You Learn What You Live. But we, our children learn what they live. Um, but that's sort of, you know, goes for anything. And if you grow up in a narcissistic household, um, your needs, your emotional needs are irrelevant because right. the only thing that matters is whether or not the narcissist yeah. is happy. So I think I became more aware when I was a young teenager. Like I'm going to tell you 12, 13, 14, 15, I was aware that his tantrums, his silent treatment of me mm -hmm. um, at about 12 was when I quit playing junior golf because he made me cry so many times because I wasn't perfect on the golf course. And then I played soccer and after every soccer game, he would drive me home and he would reprimand me for all the things I did wrong. Mm -hmm. And so was, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license so he didn't have to drive me anymore. Somehow I continued to play soccer. I don't know why or how. I, I must have derived some gratification from that. But um, I noticed the things that he would do to other people. Mm -hmm. I became much more aware and one huge example for me was every time we went to my mother's family. So my mother is was the oldest of three. She had a sister and a brother. And her father passed away when I was young, but her mother was alive and she was very, she and I were very, very close. I was very blessed to have that relationship. So we would go there. It was in New Jersey and we would drive there for Thanksgiving and uh, two other times during the year. It was never a question of if my father was going to have a nuclear meltdown narcissistic rage storm, which now I know that's what it's called. It was when. And when he would have it, there would my mother would be left crying, my grandmother would be upset, and he would go upstairs to the guest room to watch TV and pep for the rest of the time. There was not one Thanksgiving that was not ruined. And, and Lynn, you know, again, I think that's a really great example because anybody who has grown up with a narcissistic parent can, I'm sure, relate to that story because, yeah. again, it's their moods that rule, you know, and, and, and as we, I think anybody who listens to this podcast or, or has researched narcissistic abuse knows, they absolutely love to ruin holidays because holidays are a time when the attention may not be on them. So yes. this is a way to kind of redirect the attention yeah. to them if they're having some sort of a meltdown and then everyone's running around. What do we do? Yeah. How do we pacify yeah. him? Yeah. You know, the whole thing is ruined yeah. and they're sitting there going, ha, 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, look exactly. at me. It's the centrality thing. It's back on me. But as a child, yeah. oh. I, wa I want to I want to I, wa I want to keep the focus on on what it feels like. Yeah for the child because it's yeah. so important 
Um, because I think for anybody that's listening and and wondering, you know, what what kind of trauma <laughs> did I experience in my childhood that has kind of created or shaped my adult uh, decisions? And for anybody who wants to get well, who wants to heal that trauma, it's really, really important that you begin to understand and recognize what that trauma yeah. was. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I would ask anyone who's listening to kind of ask themselves, do you remember, because you might not have come to the awareness in your life that you grew up in a household with a narcissistic parent. It took Lynn many, many years to come to that realization. Yeah. I know for myself that, you know, it's not like most of us don't have the gift of somebody diagnosing our parent with no. narcissistic personality disorder. No. That, that generally doesn't happen. Just like we don't have the gift of having our spouse or our significant other diagnosed, diagnosed with narcissistic right. personality disorder. Right. A lot of times this is kind of we're sort of making that judgment based yeah. on you know we what we've learned and kind of taking their behaviors and yeah. saying I want to it makes sense to me to apply this kind of label so that I can understand what's happened to me right yeah. that's kind of what happens and the same thing happens when you're looking looking back at your childhood so did you grow up in a household with a with a father who you know behaved in some of the ways that Lynn has described? Do you remember feeling? And I think something that is important for for people is: Do you remember being young, being a child in your household, and feeling as if your needs didn't matter? Here's here's what I remember very clearly. So growing up, I'm an only child, by the way. My parents, uh, my father was involved heavily in politics and so it gave him a great reason to never be home and I must tell you that was a gift because I was alone with my mother 95% of the time now there was a an emotional shift in the house that was palpable mm -hmm. when he would come, come in yeah. and it was she was different and, and therefore I was different. Yes. And so that I now see very clearly. I felt it as a child. Um, growing up in the 70s and 80s, uh, I know you'll appreciate this, Hope. There was a <laughs> recurring theme on all the TV shows that we watched from, you know, the Partridge Family to the Brady Bunch, all these ones and reruns that we'd watch in the afternoon. And the and Willy Wonka, the recurring theme was you get to take one parent with you somewhere mm. special. Yeah. You win. Yeah. Okay. Right. And I had enormous guilt. I felt this throughout my childhood, so much so that it went into my adulthood. Enormous guilt because I always chose my mother. I did not want to be with him. Right. Right. Well, that's, that's, I think that that's a, a common, uh, you know, feeling and the reason that you feel that way is because there's something inside your little childhood heart that understands that you're not actually being. So narcissistic parents, as much as people, as much as people want to believe, and, and I get this from my clients all the time, they want to believe that their narcissistic partner loves their children. And I hate to be the person to say this yeah. to them because it's such a hard concept to grasp because I agree. we want we project our values onto the other person. Well, I I love, therefore you love. Right. But the the reality is is they don't 
love. No. At least they don't love in the way that, you know, with reciprocity no. and true bonding. It's unconditionally. What, unconditionally. They do not it's what, what Lynn said earlier is they love you for what you can do for them. And that even that, the truth. that applies to children as yep. well. Yep. So if you are a high performer, yep. if you're good at sports, yep. if you're good in, in at school, yep. if you're doing things to bring accolades yep. to them what you know then they're not they don't love you but they're going to brag about you to yes. others yes. and they're going to you know somehow somehow you're interpreting that as love because you're not you you don't know what love is right. really right. other than what how it's being shown to you when but, you're a little child but guess what not once did he ever say great job i'm so proud of you right wow right. look at what you've done right not Frickin' once, right? And I'm sorry, but that's not okay. once. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> but it's but, an important distinction. Yeah, because, because that's not love. That's not love. Right. Everything was transactional. Yes. Everything is conditional. Yes. yes. And the minute that I stepped off, that I didn't behave the yes. way he wanted me to, that I didn't stay on his script. Yes. I was done. Yes. And he stopped talking. To and me. so, so another super important point, Lynn that for children who grow up in narcissistic households, it's like you grow up always, always waiting for the other shoe to drop because yep. you never know. There's no stability. Right. There, some people grow up in stable homes. I, I've heard. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard this rumor that some people grow up in stable homes where where they have emotion, emotionally available parents who who provide nurturing and and these people grow up to form what we call secure attachments. They get to you know they find other people who grew up in stable homes. <laughs> the, I don't know where these people I don't know where these people are, but but I've heard that these people exist. But for those of us who don't get that kind of love in childhood, it leaves lasting. Yeah lasting yeah. scars well, and what we're going to talk about hang on just real quick yeah, yeah. what we're going to talk about in our next uh you know the second podcast of how it then informs your choices yeah. in adulthood well so what i was going to say is that's very interesting because i did get that from my mother mm -hmm. that's where the unicorn part yeah, comes yeah. in because i did you know yes. i once had i've had many people say to me gosh for all you've been through you're very well adjusted <laughs> yeah. well you know yeah. that helped but um the fact is if you're in a relationship and whether the roles are reversed and you're the dad and you see a narcissistic mom yeah. and you see your kids suffering, it's not doing anyone any good to stay in that relationship. And so that's a whole other, I know that's yeah. a different topic, yes. but I, I just want to put that out there that as the, as the non-narcissistic parent, if you've identified those traits in your partner and you have children, please protect them. Yeah. Well, it's really, you know, that's, I think that there's so much involved in this, which is why I wanted to talk about childhood, where yeah. we learn um, about relationships. And, you know, is and, and I, I don't, in any way, I don't want you to perceive this as me in any way saying anything negative about your mom, because I don't, I'm, that's not what I'm trying to yeah. do. But I think it's just as important for the codependent, the, the, the one who, who stays with the narcissist, and that's why I, I yeah. thought it was really important to talk about this because we have to gather our strength. We have to gather, first of all, we have to understand our role in it, right? And please, again, this is not victim blaming or shaming. No. But at some point, in order to leave this relationship as an adult, 
you have to begin to understand your value and your worth. And the problem is if you were raised in a house like this, where your worth was wholly dependent on a narcissist whimsy, a narcissist mood, a narcissist decision, whether or not they are going to you know, love you one day and reject you the next, your self-worth never had a chance. And I say this with so much love and compassion for anybody who's listening, but you never had an opportunity to build self-worth, to build self-esteem in a sustainable way so that you know that you're worthy and you're good, just you're okay on your own because everything about you as a child, you are measuring up against somebody who you perceive is not only having all the control, but can take it away in a minute. And it's a, such a scary, scary place to be that when you choose a person like this in your adult years and you're back in that place, the trauma that you feel in those moments, you're seven years old again yeah. because you haven't healed that trauma. Yeah. So until you make that connection yeah. that, you know, the trauma that you were exposed to and that you, you, um, you know, that, that sort of um, created your identity in childhood, you're still, it's like that inner child that we talk about, um, that people talk about if you're in counseling right now, hopefully you're talking about healing your inner child with your counselor. But you take that, you may grow up in years and in size and in all that kind of thing, but if you haven't healed your childhood trauma from growing up in a, a household like this, you're taking it with you. And um, you know, some people may have had the, uh, like Lynn, had ha have had a a another parent who was provided just enough. Yeah. And, I, and you know what? I'm going to say that. I'm going to give your mother a lot of credit because I do, tell, I do tell people that all the time when they come into my office and they're just broken from these relationships. And I always tell them, you know what? Kids only need one sane parent. And Lynn is here to be an example of somebody who had one sane parent and made it, yeah. made it. Yeah. Some of us don't have even one sane parent, one. but but you yeah. know what? It's interesting that you talk about self worth and self self esteem. Yeah. So I feel like I have been blessed with with self esteem, but very interesting. And I talk about this a lot in my all of my stuff. I write a lot. You see it all over the place. It's on our Center for Hope yeah. uh, website. But I wrote about the fact that just in the last year, it occurred to me that I am worthy. Mm -hmm. And it took, you know, I, I'm not seven years old, right. in case you were wondering. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, it's a lifelong um, journey, yes. building your self-worth. and. But it was, yeah. I realized that my worth, my value as a human being was all tied up in his approval. Of course it is. Of course it is. Because, because... We're learning that day in and day out, every single day as, as children and, and the impact that it has is lifelong. So I'm seeing that we're, we're, we're probably right about at time. Um, we are going, this is to be continued. Yes, uh, we're going to be talking about, um, you know, how then this, the trauma, the childhood trauma then kind of carries into adult relationships, yeah. um, how we can recognize that in our adult relationships and what we can do to heal our childhood trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Narcissist Slayers.